Good morning. Um, man, happy Father's Day to those of you who um, are dads uh, here in the house. Uh, my name is Kondo. I get to serve as one of the pastors here um, at Mission Point. And this morning, I have the privilege of continuing our series. Uh, we are in the second week of a series that we have so, so ridiculously titled Super Mega Epic Summer Series. Um, and uh, there is a reason that we went way out of our way to try and find the single most obnoxious and audacious title uh, that we're going to come up with for a series. And I think congratulations to us. Um, we have succeeded in um, that matter. But for those of you who weren't here last week, let me just take a second to uh, tell you what this series is about and why it is so ridiculously titled. Um, our goal in this series is to provoke us as a church to dare to boldly ask God to do big things and to boldly say yes to the big things God asks us to do. Our goal in this series is to dare to boldly ask God to do big things and to dare to boldly do the big things that God asks us to do. Like we said last week, we believe ours is a big God who delights in doing big things for his great glory. We believe ours is a big God who delights in inviting us to come alongside him in the big things he wants to do in this world. The problem often is we, for some reason or another, tend to reach for the most tame, the most safe, the most risk-free things to ask of him, and we tend to reach for the safest, most risk-free things to say yes to doing when God asks us to do them. And James says, we saw this uh, last week in James chapter 4, the, the little brother of Jesus penned these words to the church, and he said, listen, the truth is that we have deep and desperate and daunting desires. The problem is, we don't see those deep and desperate and daunting desires realized in our lives. And he says it's because we do not ask God. This idea that there are answers to prayer in heaven that are sitting on a shelf that we don't have simply because we don't dare to ask God. And so this summer, what we want to do is kind of stage a minor revolt and say, God, if there are big things we could ask of you, our big God, for your great glory, then we want to lean in. We want to take the risk. We want to dare to ask you to do big things in our lives. And so that's what this summer is about. We want to dare to be a little bit more obnoxious. We want to dare to be a little bit more audacious with our God in the things that we ask of him. And our challenge last week was to start a list of big things that you would like to see the Lord do in your life. Now, just as a quick refresher, in order for something to qualify as big and to qualify to go on your super mega epic summer prayer list, um, it has to be something that you are desperate for that only God can do. If you can still do it, leave it off the list. But if there is something desperate and daunting that you long to see God do that only he can do, we encourage you start a list. The healing of that sickness. 
the restoration, let alone renovation of that entirely broken marriage. The freedom and unshackling from that addiction, put it on the list. And I don't know if you've started yours yet. It's been really encouraging to hear from some of you just share. I've started a list. Somebody said to me the other day, I've started a list. There's only one thing on it, but I've started a list. Great place to start. And I look forward to seeing the way God will touch down in answering these audacious, big, bold prayers that we bring before him this summer. So this morning, we want to kind of pick up where we left off um, and give some practical principles to help us practice praying big. Um, And not just this summer, but I trust that these practical principles and this experience this summer would far outreach the months um, ahead of us. But what does praying big look like? Like And so to do that, we want to zone in on a passage in the book of James. James um, chapter 5, uh, by the way, strapping gentlemen will magically appear um, in the aisles here in, in a couple of moments. And so if you happen to need a, a copy of the scriptures, just slip up your arm, let them know you need one, they'll get one to you. And um, by the way, if you don't own a copy, no need to leave this, take it with you as our gift to you. But we are going to be in James Um, chapter 5. James chapter 5. Again, James is the little brother of Jesus. And in this chapter, he is writing to the scattered church to urge them to pray big. He's writing to urge them to pray faith-flavored prayers. And he gives very practical principles for what it looks like to start to move in that Direction, And so we want to totally plagiarize these principles and apply them to our own lives this morning. James chapter 5. We're going to start reading at verse 13. We're going to read through verse 18. We're going to come back and um, kind of look at some of the principles that emerge. James chapter 5, verse 13. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Verse 16, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah, verse 17, was a human being even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed this time that it would, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. I think this is one of the most practical passages on what it looks like to grow in the practice of praying big, praying with the kind of faith that stirs the heart of our God. And so as we reach to pray big and to see God do big things for his great glory, I think this passage gives us some practical principles. And we're going to have these up on the screen as we talk through them. Again, encourage you to take notes. Um, if you don't 
already, but some faith prayer principles that emerge. Here's the first one. Um, James seems to be suggesting and encouraging um, the church to pray constantly. To pray constantly. Um, let me take you real quick uh, behind the scenes um, at the Simfukwe's home. And um, when I get home from work every day, we go through this routine. And the routine goes something like this. My wife will ask me, how was your day? Every day, without fail. Um, and I would typically respond the way I usually do by saying, it was fine. My coworkers are crazy. They need to be institutionalized. And then we pray for them one at a time from the, the least to the most crazy. Um, and on and on we go. But seriously, I mean, if you're a husband, then you know this, this experience, assuming your wife likes you enough to care how your day went. But we get into this tango that happens. My wife wants to know every single living detail of what happened in my day. And I'm trying to avoid talking about my day at all costs possible. Uh, recently, she asked me, how's your day? And in an attempt to get it right, I asked her in response, can you just ask me more specifically what it is you'd like to know, and then I can tell you that and we can move on. And she didn't say these exact words, but this is pretty much what she said. She said, well, why don't we start with everything, and then we can go from there. That's crazy! But, you know, I've even tried to kind of compromise and say, all right, listen, I'll make you a deal. I will tell you the major headlines, and I'll give you the mega highlights. How about I just narrow it down to the top two most significant things that happened to me in my day? And my wife is greedy. She wants nothing to do with that. She wants full play-by-play detailed report of my day. Come to find out, it's not actually about the report. Turns out it's about the relationship. She wants to be included in every aspect of my life. And so she asks me to share every aspect of my life with her. I'm learning. It's not easy, but I'm learning to do this more and more. When James talks to the church about prayer, he borrows a similar concept. It's about the relationship. Getting better at praying big has to start with getting better at praying constantly. See, because if James didn't say that, we would be tempted to pray the way I report my day. Listen, God, I will bring you in on the major headlines, and I'll give you the mega highlights. Can I please just narrow it down to the most significant events that happen in my life, the biggest crises, but please don't ask me to involve you in the everyday detail, and God is saying, I want the relationship. For you to just give me the highlights of your life, that's not a relationship, that's the news. And I want so much more than that. Look at verse 13. James says, is anyone among you in trouble? And I love that it doesn't rate or rank the degree of trouble or crisis because it doesn't matter. Is there anything bothering you? Is there there something that's getting under your skin? Is there something bugging you, annoying you? Uh, Is something unpleasant happening in your world? Take it to God. Talk to him about that. Wait a minute. God wants to know about my annoyances? Yes, he does. James says, pray those things to him. And he says, is anyone happy? 
Is something in your life, in your world, making you smile? When the Warriors win game seven tonight, that will make you smile. When your baby takes her first steps, that will make you smile. Somebody liked your Insta post. That makes you happy. James is saying, talk to God about those things. And he says, sing a song of praise. That's just prayer set to song. Pray even that. He says, is anyone among you sick? Is, is your body malfunctioning? Again, he's not concerned with the degree of sickness in this particular context. But he says, if it even gets to a certain point, call the elders of the church to join you in doing what? In praying about that. James is saying, pray to God about whatever and pray to God about everything. In fact, we coined a word around here a couple of years ago, pray to God about whatever-thing. He wants to be included in every single detail of our lives. Pray constantly. And by the way, James is not concerned with how much time you spend in prayer. He's concerned with with how many things you include God in through prayer. I know for a fact, my wife doesn't care how long it takes me to unwind every detail of the day. She cares that I unwind every detail of the day. She's not going to complain, well, that only took 15 minutes. Get back in there. We have an hour scheduled. And yet sometimes don't we do that in our own pious church little selves who intimidate each other with questions like, well, how long have you prayed (laughs) this week? I prayed two hours one day. That's so boss, congratulations. But funny enough, the model of prayer Jesus gives takes less than a minute to pray. God is not so concerned about the time as much as he's concerned about the things I include him in. And by things, he means everything. He wants to be invited in. Praying big things starts with praying all things. Praying super things starts with praying small things. Praying mega things starts with praying the mundane things. Praying epic things starts with praying everything things. And here's why this is so key for us to note. Because here's what we often do in prayer. We will bench God for the daily details and events of our lives. And then we'll call him up in that crunch minute to hit the game winner. And we get very disappointed when God doesn't seem to show up in these major moments, in these headline experiences, when we etch him out and we sideline him in the everyday experiences of our lives. And what James would say is if you're going to learn to pray big, start by praying constantly, including him in everything everything so that by the time you get to these major moments it's the pattern of your communication it's the pattern of your conversation and it seems like the next natural step for you to take what's the most trivial thing you've talked to god about today We want to pray big things this summer, but lest it become less about relationship and more about results, James reminds us, include him in as many things as you can. And then the big things will be part of this relationship that's growing. He wants to do big things, but he loves to be included in all things. The next principle uh, that emerges is the idea of praying specifically. Pray specifically. Um, A a number of years ago, um, a friend um, and mentor of mine 
um, shared with me that he had been diagnosed with uh, a deadly form of cancer. Uh, when the church found out about this, the church did what the church will often do. They went over to his house to spend some time just praying for him, encouraging him, not quite sure what to say, but people would, would surround him in prayer. And as you can imagine, that was so encouraging to him. Just kidding. No, it wasn't. It was one of the most discouraging experiences according to him. He said, there came a point where I wanted people out of my house. I didn't want any of these people praying for me or around me. I wanted them out. Now, he was a major introvert, but that's not why he wanted people out of his house. He said, it became entirely discouraging to hear those Christians pray lame, tame, weak, noncommittal, multiple choice prayers. It discouraged me. And they would pray things like this. God, we pray that you would heal this man of his cancer. Or, 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 if not that, we pray that you would give him grace to endure this, God. Or, or, if not that, we pray that you would at least help them with the financial costs that would be incurred by this. Or, or, or if not that, we pray that you would at least start to work on a, on a man for her, his wife in the event that he should pass away. Or, or, if not that, God, would you just let him die in peace? And he's saying, by the end of the prayer, even God's confused, saying, did you actually come to ask me for something? Or did you come to pray to remind me of all of my options in this particular situation? And he said, I wanted these people out of my house. It was so discouraging. I just wished for one moment there would be somebody bold enough to pray with laser specificity and ask God, would you heal this man of his cancer? The end. But so rare was a person, and I just wanted these people out of my home. That was compelling to hear him. Say, when James describes faith prayer, big prayer, he describes it as a brand of prayer that aims very specifically. He's describing a kind of prayer that zones in with laser focus on what exactly it wants to see God do. The end. No multiple choice. Look at verse 17. This is crazy. James 5 verse 17 says this, Elijah, he was a human being. Um, other versions will say he, he had passions, desires, longings, just like we do. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Verse 18, again he prayed and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. Elijah prayed, what? He prayed, God, do that thing where it doesn't rain for three and a half years. The end. Very specific. There's another story in which Elijah was facing off with some false prophets uh, on the top of a mountain. And in that face-off, Elijah had the audacity to pray with this level of specificity. He said, God, I pray that you would set fire to this water-drenched altar right here. 
very specific. He didn't say, Lord, strike fire near the altar. He didn't say, cause the sun to be really bright and the water to evaporate. He didn't say, you know, hey, make the sun really hot and sunburn all of these false prophets. He didn't say, kill all their wheat and make them gluten intolerant. He prayed, set fire to this altar. Very, very, very specific. There was one time in the Old Testament where a guy named Joshua prayed to God that God would cause the sun to stand still in the sky. That's specific. It is scientifically inaccurate because the sun never moves, but that is specifically on point. God, would you cause the sun to stand still? And God's like, I'll suspend science and the sun. Very, very specific in his prayer. There is something so profoundly powerful about the men and women of Scripture and the way they prayed. Some of you remember in the New Testament, Jesus encounters a blind guy named Bartimaeus. He's making a ruckus. He's making a fuss, just begging, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus actually walks up to him, and he does for this guy what I think would terrify most of us if he did for us. He said, all right, you've been making a ruckus. Here I am. What do you want me to do? What do you want? Bartimaeus says, good question. I want to see the end. Are you sure? Yeah, see, that's it. You don't want a new coat? Nope. You don't want better begging skills? No. I want to see. He prayed with specificity, asking Jesus for exactly what he needed. Praying big prayers means praying specific prayers. I don't know what things have made it onto your super mega epic summer list, but I know God wants you to ask him exactly what you want him to do. Be specific. He loves specificity in prayer. Vague prayer is rarely faith prayer. Here's the reason there's power in praying specificity. The reason specific prayer is powerful is because if I'm going to pray specifically, I have to go all in on the thing I'm asking God to do. No multiple choice. Listen, either the fire hits this altar and sets it ablaze or Elijah looks like an idiot. Either Bartimaeus sees or he doesn't. Either God heals the sickness or he doesn't. Either the sun stops moving or the earth or whatever the case may be or it doesn't. Either it stops raining or it continues to rain. There is something about specific prayer that forces me to have to go all in. Now either God shows up or he doesn't. When we pray vague, weak multiple choice prayers, I think there's a reason that often dishonors God because they sound spiritual, but they are often just cowardly prayers. They reveal a layer of fear because here's what I do when I pray multiple choice prayers. What I'm really doing is saying, I'm going to just pad the situation. I'm going to give God a bunch of options so that way I don't end up being severely disappointed, and he doesn't look bad. God is like, that is weak. That is non-committal. That is not faith kind of praying. And so to prevent God from looking bad, and to prevent me from being disappointed, I give God a bunch of options. And by the way, by options, I mean I give God a bunch of outs. 
So at the end of the day, whatever happens, I can keep my cute little theology about God being good intact. Because he answered my prayer. One of my 50 million options, he said yes to them, so God is good, and he answers prayer. Hey, girl, sir. Hey, <laughs> want to get together sometime? Um, but if not, that's cool, that's cool. You want to be Facebook friends, maybe, at least? But if not that, that's cool, too. Listen, hey, you want to, you know, connect me with that cute friend of yours? But if not, that's cool, that's cool. You know, or you could just maybe, you know, um, ignore everything I just said. Or you could just, you could slap me uh, across the face and uh, pretend this never happened. That is weak. It, ladies, if a guy ever comes to you with that kind of game, just send him off quickly. Quickly. But to make a move like that allows me to go back and tell my boys it went well. She said yes. <laughs> to, you know, said yes to which of the 50 options? One of them. It doesn't matter which one. You don't worry about that. Just know that she said yes. That is non-committal. It is weak, but it's the way we oftentimes pray to God. He wants us to ask big and specific things. He wants us to go all in, to risk disappointment. That's faith. Praying. Pray specifically. What is the thing that you are desperate for that only God can do? Ask him specifically what it is you want him to do in that situation. Go all in. Go big. Take the risk of being disappointed. Take the risk of looking like a fool, being the only person praying non-scientifically accurate prayers for what you want to see God do. Pray specifically. God honors specific prayer because specific prayer shows super dependence on him. I'm all in. You are my only option. The next principle that emerges is to pray confidently. Pray confidently. Uh, I've told this story a, a number of times uh, about a, a really well-known, to my generation, uh, musical artist and theologian um, by the name of Michael Card. I'm dating myself. Some of you need to Google Michael Card, or another option is you can stay uncool, whatever. But... Uh, Michael Carr, this musician, tells a story of a, a pained upbringing, particularly his relationship with his dad. And he says, you know, his dad was a super important doctor, you know, really, really busy guy who was seldom home. And when he was home, he would often lock himself behind his study door, you know, reading his fancy medical journals and whatnot. And so uh, Michael would say that in order to engage my dad, I figured out the best way for me to do that was to go and lay on the floor and speak to him beneath the door. And he said, I would often put my fingers under the door and wiggle them to get his attention. And then the conversation was on, and then I would start to kind of file under the door some of my little ghetto crayon drawings that I had made that I wanted him to see, and I start to explain to him, this is this, Dad, and, and this is, and I drew this, and this is you, and this is me, and this is our dog, and that's how he would communicate to his father. And he says when he came to know uh, Jesus Christ, he had a very difficult time parting from that picture of his father when he thought about God. And he couldn't help but approach God with his sheepishness, believing that he was always a nuisance, interrupting a God who was too busy for him. And the truth is, that's how many of us pray. 
And for some of us, it is. It's because of our own experiences with our, our, our dads. And so on this Father's Day, can I just say to you, open the door and, and be present, be available. How we treat our kids shapes how they ultimately end up viewing God as father. But for many of us, that's how we engage um, our God. He's a distant and disinterested dad, and we're the unwelcome and unwanted kids. And so, you know, he's in there like, okay, file your little ghetto crayon super mega epic drawn list under the door. And if I happen to have time, because I'm dealing with Florida and I'm dealing, you know, with the Middle East, if I have time, then maybe perhaps I'll get to it. Just leave it and go. Many of us view him that way. And so it causes us to pray to God um, with a great tentativeness. And you hear this in the way we often pray. We'll pray with apologies and, and disclaimers. God, I know you're really busy, and so listen, I'm sorry to bother you. I'm sorry to bother you. You're really important, and you're doing really, really important things. You don't have time, but wiggles. If you get a moment in the next few hours, could you please look at this desperate situation with my kids? Because we're sheepish. And some of us uh, feel so unwanted that we'll start to barter with God. It's a fascinating thing we often do. Okay, listen, God, I know I've got to give you something that you want, and we've got to kind of trade here, because otherwise, why would you listen to me and do anything for me? So I'll tell you what. If you just give me two minutes, I'll start to serve at church. Kids ministry, even. I'll start to serve God. But would you please just give me a moment? And some of us feel like such a burden in a new sense, we become superstitious. This is really fascinating. And what I mean by that is we'll actually believe there is a prayer limit. And so we will save up our biggest prayers for life and death situations because you don't want to waste, you know, your moment with God. Uh, You don't want to throw away a prayer. And so you want to save it up for the big moment, that big crisis prayer. And so we end up being like spiritual hoarders, you know, in our basement, just all of these prayer requests that we've never filed because, you know, I might need a bigger prayer request later. So that's why I'm keeping all of these. So space yourself if you're going to come to God and choose wisely which request you pick out of the pile. Look at verse 16. It says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. That doesn't help. Righteous? Did you say righteous? Because if you're like me, then you sin, you know that you've messed up, and it makes it worse because God's already, you know, disinterested, but now he's angry because I've messed up. So in addition, I've got to keep my distance knowing I'm already unwanted, and now he's angry on top of that, and so I've got to wait till things blow over, and I've got to clean myself up, and I've got to wait till I've accumulated some some righteous brownie points. Then I can go back to God, and even then under the door and slip my crayon prayer request for him to see. It's so hard, church, to pray big when I feel unwanted and unworthy. And God steps in, and he says, no, I want you to pray confidently every time. Uh, Look at this powerful passage in Hebrews chapter 10, Um, starting at verse 19. 
This is life-changing for me. It says, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain, that is, the body of Jesus. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. I love that passage. There is no reason remaining why any of his kids should ever come into his presence sheepishly. He has removed every obstacle. He has removed every reason that could prevent us from coming into his presence boldly. I love this. God is never, and this may be a newsflash to some of you who've maybe never experienced this anywhere else. But God is never anything less than ecstatic to see you when you show up in his presence. And if you need any evidence, look at the death, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He sacrificed his own son to pave the way for us to come to him because he wanted us to approach him Boldly. And then it says in verse 22, and and so let's keep coming back over and over and over again. Because he wants us to approach and keep coming near. In the gospel, God ripped the curtain. And do you know what the curtain was? The curtain was his office door that he pulled up off the hinges. As his way of saying to his kids, there is no out and in. I want you in close to my presence. Come on in. There is never a time you as his kid ever go to him and God is anything less than ecstatic to see you. And he made provision for every failure that you could ever experience, you could ever commit. And I love what this passage says because, listen, it's a reminder for us to kind of get over ourselves a little bit. You never go into the presence of God based on your good behavior. You go into the presence of God based on the finished work of Jesus Christ. Jesus on the cross superimposed his righteousness on me. That means every time I show up, God looks at me and he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ and he says, come on in. And by the way, that gives me new hope and new flair for James chapter 5, because I saw in James chapter 5 where it says the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And I don't know about you, but I am clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Watch out, prayer. It's not based on what I messed up with yesterday or what I'll mess up with tomorrow. It's based on the finished work of Jesus Christ to cover our sin. And God says, come on in, my righteous kid. Not based on your behavior, but based on Jesus Christ's finished work. You can pray confidently knowing he's always smiling every time you show up. We will never pray big if we feel sheepish, tentative, and timid in the presence of God. But thankfully, Jesus Christ has removed every reason we could ever have to be timid. Listen, you have no excuse not to barge in confidently and ask God for whatever big thing is on your list. Can you imagine this summer what might happen if there is a renewed sense of confidence in the finished work of Jesus Christ and a growing belief among his people that God loves to see us when we show up? 
That's why Jesus died, so we could come close to him. I wonder what would happen if we even began to lean in to that truth and to pray confidently. Uh, the next thing, pray expectantly. Pray expectantly. Um, my wife, this very, very, very moment, is teaching uh, the pre-K class in Wonderville. Um, she loves those kids, but it's been so fascinating to see her experience um, you know, the attention span war of 2016 that is working with kids um, in that age group. These kids have such an amazing Dory focus um, to them. You know, where did God come from? Well, God came from, what does kiss mean? My parents kiss all the time. Can I go potty? Oh, never mind, too late. I went potty. What time's the snack? You know, and on and on it goes. Those kids do not stay on anything um, for a very long amount of time. So you have to be really, really dynamic and creative in the way you teach those little short-term memories. So, very cute when you're talking about kids, but not very cute when you're talking about prayer. Not cute at all. Uh, last week, we encouraged you to start a list and to set a time to pray the things on that list um, to God. And part of the reason is because we know what the Bible knows is that when it comes to prayer, we're all pre-cares. We all suffer from a severe case of pray DD. Like, no sooner have we prayed something than we forgot that we prayed it and we moved on to the next thing. Oh, look, another crisis. Oh, my goodness, put your sister down. Oh, my goodness, I'm hungry. And we move on from the moments and the places and the things that we pray about. The problem with that is that when God touches down with his answers, we're not in the designated place. We're not in the designated posture. And I fear that many of us have missed so many ways God has answered our prayers because we prayed and we forgot. We bailed out. We didn't stick it out in expectancy to see what God might do. Look at verse 17 and 18 again. Elijah was a human being even as we are. He prayed earnestly. That word earnest is the word that means persistent expectation. That it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. So you've got a picture. When it says he prayed earnestly, Elijah submitted the prayer about the rain and then he would keep looking to the clouds. He kept looking to God expecting that God would deliver what it was that Elijah was asking for. Expectation. Praying with expectation is the kind of prayer that honors God. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew 7, verse 7. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. Everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. The one who knocks, the door will be opened. Jesus is just saying God always answers prayer. So expect him to answer yours. Meaning, do not knock, knock, zoom on the door of prayer. Do not knock and run. The problem is never that God doesn't answer. The problem is that we quit asking with expectation and we move on while the answer may be making its way to the point where we prayed. Praying big means praying until God shows up, until you get the answer. So if he hasn't answered your super mega epic prayer yet, you are not done praying. 
press in and expect. Press in and expect. His answer is a promise. He always will. So look to him until he does. Faith prays until God answers. The last thing, and this is going to take just a moment. Pray submissively. Pray submissively. And I debated whether or not to um, include this and to, and to talk about this for a, a couple of reasons. And, and one of them is it's not explicitly in this passage. It is explicitly in James's teaching um, in other places in his book. Pray submissively. And also because uh, my concern was we want to invite uh, the church to pray boldly. And this could feel like a step in the wrong direction. But I think this truth is so key for us to grab a hold of even as we walk out. Um, Many of you know this, but I spent um, most of my teenage years in Sydney, Australia. I loved that city. I I wanted to die in that city. I wanted to live in that city forever and ever and ever and ever. Um, and, And yet I knew that there was a possibility that after four years in Australia, we would have to leave and go back to Zambia. And I did not want to leave my boys. Now, side note, um, Australia was also a place where I was, you know, severely sowing some wild oats and and partying all the time. So not necessarily the healthiest place. And one of the things I never did was pray. That just wasn't on my uh, itinerary. But when I knew there was a possibility of leaving this dream world of Sydney, Australia to go back to Zambia, I made an exception. And uh, I begged God, God, please do that thing where we stay in Australia forever and never have to leave. Um, now, I uh, started my senior year in high school, became clear that that wasn't going to happen. We had to leave and go back to Zambia. I was crushed. I cried for days. God, how could you do this? Now, there's a reason, by the way, I take you down a nostalgic lane with me, because I want you to know this important principle. And this is going to help you. It might even save you in future years. And here's the principle. God always answers prayer. But sometimes his answer is no. God always answers prayer. But sometimes his answer is no. So pray submissively. I pray with confidence. I pray specifically. I pray big. But at the end of the day, I submit to the fact that the answer is God's prerogative. The answer is up to God. And sometimes that answer is no. He crushed my heart with a no when I was a teenager to the thing he knew I wanted the most as those jumbo wheels took off from the Sydney International Airport. Now, why share this if confidence to pray for big things is our hope? And here's why. Because I want to speak, as we walk out, to those of you who've maybe been crushed by the most painful no's from God. I want to re-invite some of us who may be one of the reasons we don't want to pray big is because we've been devastated by a painful no from God. And I want to invite you to get in there again. And here's why. Here's why. God only ever says no to your big to say yes to his better. Always.
The only reason God will say no to your big request is because he intends to do you one or 50 million better. Pray submissively. In the puddle of teary disappointment, it's impossible to believe that he has bigger than your big and better than your best, but it is true. Listen, in my best moments as a dad, I will say no to my kids, but I've never once said no to my kids with an intention to harm them. I will say no to them because I know that what they're asking for is not the best thing for them. Now try to tell them that in their teary moment. Impossible. For them to believe dad wants best and dad knows best for me. And I want to convince you to pray big by praying submissively because the worst thing that could happen is that God does better than the biggest thing you even thought to ask. Weeks after I got back to Zambia, I went all in with Jesus and have never looked back. Months after I got back to Zambia, the Lord opened the door for me to come to the United States. Now here I sit, celebrating my 12th Father's Day. The guys I led, the little gang of dudes that I led, one of them is Australia's most wanted criminal. He's living life on the run. I couldn't understand why God would say no then because he had something better. And you may choose to argue, but I posit to you this is better than that. God always answers prayer. But when he says no, watch out. It means he is something better. Peter said, Jesus, I'm praying to you. Do not go to the cross. And Jesus said, no. In fact, Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. And for three days while he lay in the grave, Peter was devastated. But on the third day, he understood. He was working on something better. Paul pleaded with God, please take away this thing that's ailing me. And God said no. And then later, Paul understood God wanted to introduce something better, his power. Pray submissively as your way of saying, God, I'm trusting you, Father, know best. And it's up to you. I'm praying for this big thing, but feel free to upgrade it. And so I want to invite you, if that's a reason maybe you've stepped aside, to re-enter and re-engage, praying to a God who wants to do perhaps bigger things than you even thought to ask or imagine. Pray constantly. Pray specifically. Pray confidently. Pray expectantly. Pray submissively, knowing that even this summer, God has better things than you can possibly imagine. And so, God, help us to believe that. Help us to believe and count fully on the work of Jesus Christ. And help us, Lord, to press in with faith and risk and audacity to ask you to move specifically in ways that only you can. And then, Lord, help us to expect that you will answer. You will answer. And when your answer is no, your no is just a better yes. And help us to trust that. In Jesus' name, amen.